It's like I told Wit after the first two years, you hired me for what's about to come. Because what's about to come is the hard part. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I don't know if I can follow that one up. Khalil Herbert is everything we dreamed of and more. Pete, nobody's looking <laughs> at your tweets. I love our guys. I love where we're going and what we're doing. We cannot stop fighting the good fight. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. I'm yelling into the void, <laughs> and that's what I like doing. Get you somebody not... that loves spruce tips as much as Pete does. Why did I pick Pitt to cover 14 points against NC State? I'm warm. Do we need to get better? You bet. And is that my responsibility? 100%. I want to know what you're drinking, Rob. It is roasty goodness, even though I was What's out. What's the percent on that? 11. Smells like you're drinking like a cleaning solution. We're going to put this old guy in a grave. The end has already been written. We just got to go through the hard part to get there. And I mow the lawn after work before the podcast. Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence, brought to you by Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech lost to West Virginia 27-21. to it was a heartbreaker, Robbie. In fact, it was a heartbreaker two times because <laughs> I think we lost that game twice on Saturday. Yeah, we all moved on and accepted the loss and then got pulled back into it and then had to accept the loss twice. That is um, <laughs> twice the anguish, quite quite honestly. For sure, man. Why don't you give us a cheers? Kick this thing off. Well, uh, cheers to the players. How about that? So we're going to have a lot to say about that WVU game. Um, probably a fair amount about the coaching staff, I would imagine. I don't know what you're going to say. You and I, and I haven't covered a ton on this game together, so we'll, we'll be listening to each other's thoughts for the first time. But the players played their hearts out. They gave it everything that they've got, uh, which was obvious on the field. It must have been a brutal locker room after the game. So uh, a big cheers to uh, those guys and uh, everything they put out on the fields. I just wish they uh, wish for them they could have got the Ws. It was tough, but uh, cheers to them. Cheers. It was a brutal afternoon for the team, and like I said, I mean, it didn't feel good to go down early in the game, but I think a lot of fans out there probably did make their peace with it at some point just after halftime. But to the team's credit, as your cheers alluded, they fought. And that is something I'm going to take away from this game when we get into it a little bit later. I was down in Blacksburg on Saturday, you know, nursing my wounds at some of the local watering holes. And my wife and I had a good time. We were in Harrisonburg on Friday because, like I said, she's she's a Duke. And we went to see a cross-country meet because she used to run for them and saw her old coach and some other friends that were down. And then made our way to the Berg on Saturday, watched the game with some people we were staying with, Karen and Ron, and just, I mean, had a great time where the weather was perfect. And it turns out there's a lot of new places to drink in Blacksburg. And really? since we weren't we weren't there in 2020 because of the pandemic, I didn't get a chance to go down and see any games. And I happened to only go to an away game in 2019. Okay. So between the breweries, which you've got uh, – <laughs> Rising Silo is one of the places that I ended up going this weekend, but a bunch of people recommended the uh, Divide, something Divide, oh, Eastern uh, Divide. Do you yes. know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think that's... Uh, I think that's on the other side of town, and we tried to go there, and it, there was a wedding at really? the brewery, so so it was <laughs> so it was closed. So we ended up at Rising Silo off Glade Road, and that was pretty cool, but then I, we headed to the Maroon Door for dinner and tots, and I got a pizza late night at PK's. Oh my it was goodness. a good all-around experience. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like uh, you got got after it. I'll be there in a in a uh, a couple of weeks, so I'll have to check out a few of those places. 
Nice. Let's start with the news and notes before we get into the game. The AP poll came out and VT dropped out. I wasn't sure if we were going to drop all the way out for losing a road game to a P5 team, but we did, and that's fine. We are 28th if you want to go into the receiving votes. Clemson dropped to number nine after their dismal performance versus Georgia Tech. UNC is now at 21, and Miami, after falling on their face at home to Michigan State, is out as well. You know, in the last three weeks, you might have noticed a lot of top 25 teams losing. And I don't know if you saw this, but it's the most AP top 25 teams to lose through the first three weeks ever. Really? Of all time? <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what I read. That's At incredible. least since like, you know, 1950-something or other. Yeah. Well, it, <laughs> it feels like it, so I'm glad that my eyes and uh, are not deceiving me and what, uh, what it's, or at least what it's felt and you know, looked like uh, from what I've gone through. I think it's something like 19 teams. Wow! Have, like that were ranked at some point in the first three weeks have lost um, while being ranked, and I wonder, and maybe we don't need to wonder how much of that has to do with coming off of the pandemic season when not everyone played a full year. The Pac-12 played six games. The Big Ten played six games. It's got to have something to do with it. It seems as though home field advantage has been larger this year i know fornelli kind of tracks those stats i haven't looked at it but it seems that those uh it's been been bigger this year i haven't looked at the stats to see if that's true but maybe you know maybe that's having an influence on things and i also think um one part of this is the scheduling a lot of people over time had started to build in these harder and harder schedules um, yep. that because they wanted to make the playoff and everybody had knew they had to schedule P5 versus P5. So if you think about it, not even, it wasn't used to be kind of week one, you'd get some of those, maybe week two. This upcoming week, I think we have some, um, you know, uh, out of conference uh, top matchups. I think um, at least one, maybe two. So I think that probably also plays into it as well. No, that's that's a really good point. You, We've got the Big Ten playing matchups in the first weekend. We've got the ACC playing matchups in the first weekend. A lot of interconference games that are going on as well. So that is a good point. The scheduling definitely has something to do with it because it used to always be you played your four cupcakes or at least two or three cupcakes, yep. maybe one tough game, and then you got into your conference play. And now there are a lot of primo games early in the season. The other thing about this year is because of the super seniors coming back for some of the lower teams, like, because if you're at Clemson or Bama or OU, like if you're really good, you probably didn't do a super senior year. You probably right. went to the NFL or decided to move on because someone moved ahead of you or whatever else. And it's created two things. One, the, the lower teams might be better. And when I say lower, I just mean not, you know, football factories. Right. And, I think also it's made it so like the top teams, even if they haven't lost, like Georgia and Oklahoma and uh, who else is at the top of the rankings? Bama, who just barely squeaked by Florida. Like yep. they're not as elite as they normally are. Yeah. No, I think uh, I think that's definitely the case because you know everybody pencils in Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma. Oklahoma's almost lost twice our already. Somehow they're still ranked like number four, which is insane <laughs> to me. But Clemson has not, their offenses look bad. Ohio State, their defenses look bad. Alabama, you know, has not looked as dominant. Their defense has been, you know, good, but not as great as people thought it would be. Across the board, they have, all these teams have holes. 
Yeah, it's true. And this is one of those years where everyone's likening it to 2007 because there's been a lot of upsets already, or at least ranked teams losing. I I don't know if it'll get that crazy, but there really is a lot of vulnerability at the top. And if you had, like, like Iowa as a team in a normal year, they'd probably never get into the playoff. But I don't know. Maybe they will this year. It's crazier things have happened. So I'm looking forward to seeing how this season plays out because of that. And in the ACC, Miami's starting to look bad. Clemson looks as susceptible as they've looked in seven years. I mean, they just look really, really mediocre through the first couple weeks. The fact that they couldn't blow Georgia Tech off the field is a giant concern. Their offensive line is in deep, deep trouble. And yeah, they'll these teams, I almost feel like what normally happens is those the big teams kind of are so good that they start right from the, the beginning and they're good. Like right from week one in a typical year. And they're just they're always they're good all the way through and they'll improve, but it's already so good that there's only so much better it can get. And then the rest of the teams start shaky and kind of improve throughout the season. For whatever reason, it almost feels like the opposite is happening right now, where Iowa and all these other teams are ready to go early in the season, but they're not gonna improve all that much. They have a very kind of low ceiling. Um Whereas there's a huge high ceiling for the big teams that they'll probably, you know, achieve throughout the season once you get towards the end. And that might be because these younger guys who are having to play for the Bamas and the Ohio States didn't practice as much last year. There was no spring. Like everyone's a little behind in the development. And so it's hurting the younger guys the most. And like you said, as the season goes on, maybe, maybe the, the big boys will become more elite and hard to beat and, Ultimately, we'll have a playoff where it's this, you know, four out of the same five teams it always is. Yeah, I mean, we'll get right back to the boring crap that none of us want to see. So, uh, you know, it's all a flat circle. Um, all right, so for Tech, we dropped down to 32 in the Massey composite. UNC sitting at 17, and, and Notre Dame is at 14. I bring them up because we play them in a few weeks. The S&P had us with a big drop down to 37. I think we were about 24 last week. And we're 102 in special teams on the SP Plus right now. And I, I think that's because we have the two missed field goals. Yes. And we, although we've had a good return or two, um, I'm a little, I am a little surprised it's that low because we have had good returns. But either way, it's not a good look. Uh, UNC is back up to 11 in the SP Plus. Notre Dame's at 21. The other couple notes I had kind of deal with injuries. And the first one is uh, Silas Janzi had to leave the game. And he's got an ankle thing now. Tyrell Smith took over at right tackle. And they even had to bring Brock Hoffman over to play tackle at one point. Because Clements, Parker Clements, the guy who everyone likes, young kid playing right tackle, he's also injured and didn't even make the trip to West Virginia. So this is starting to concern me up front on the offensive line. Yeah, we may have jinxed it because we were saying that we felt confident that in the offensive line and and we'd be able to put something together. But... We did not expect the the injuries and the shuffling to uh, to get this this bad this early. I guess. Well, uh, we knew the right side yeah. was was thin. We knew yeah. we knew we had starters, but beyond that, it was tough. And I, I love Tyrell Smith. I know he's a leader for the team in the locker room, but like, there's a reason he's seven years in and has not really played much actual starting offensive lineman. Uh, he had a bunch of false starts for us, and he's just he's just an average player. 
And yeah. so we need Silas to come back healthy before Notre Dame. Yeah, <laughs> we, and, we, we, we really do. And we'll hit on this and my thoughts on the offensive line during that WVU game, which I think was not, not great. King didn't travel because of the non-COVID illness thing that was reported. So we didn't have Keyshawn King returning kicks or in the backfield, but he should be back soon. The, the ones I'm concerned about, and we'll talk a little bit more about later, are is Burmeister hurt and is Barno hurt? And are they both playing through it? Because both of them aren't playing as well as uh, we saw in the UNC game at times. And... I'm like, people are chirping at me that maybe they're hurt. And, you know, got guys on TSL speculating that potentially they're hurt. And I, I'm, I want to lean that way because if if they're hurt, then maybe they can get better and then get better again on the field. Right. Yeah. It's the far off. The the fall off with Barno has been so dramatic that I have to think. And with Burmeister, look at all the hits they took in the last game and you can see him. I don't know if he's hurt or not, but you can see him doing his like shoulder swing, you know, like the windmill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen him do that, what, five times, six times, sometimes after a hit, sometimes after just a, you know, a sliding play. So I'm wondering if his shoulder's acting up again, if that's, if that could be it. Um, Cause he's been doing that an awful lot since he took um, that nasty hit um, in, uh, in the last game. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the thing that they've talked about is, is the shoulder, thing with him uh when i say they i mean the general they as well as the guys on tsl french kind of hinted at it in some of his analysis that he seems to be favoring the shoulder we've noticed he's not taking a lot of the rpos and running them and maybe that's a directive coming down from the coaches like hey your shoulder's messed up don't run the ball um and this is all speculation but there seems to be some fire with that smoke the ubiquitous uh they is what we'll say (laughs) All right, let's hop into the game recap. Our first drive was okay. We got to about the 50 before we punted, but WVU came out hot, man. Brown took it to the house in their second play, 80-yard touchdown right up the gut. They scored again on the next drive on the pass to Ford Wheaton to make it 14 to nothing, and that was quick as you could imagine. We answered with a 10-play, 75-yard drive, capped with a 23-yard touchdown pass to Robinson. It was a great snag on the comeback. I was impressed with that play. Yeah, that was... um... I was really impressed, especially since how how critical it was at that time, given the fast start from WVU. So really impressive to to answer there. Definitely needed that score. We held WVU and then had our own drive stall in their territory on a fourth and one stop. And it was the first of many what I'd call questionable play calls on the day. We traded punts before WVU scored on another TD on the pass to Sam James. They converted a third and 10 on the drive, which was a little demoralizing. Then they added a field goal to make it 24-7. to We stopped them inside the five on three straight plays, and the James catch was just out of bounds, and that's where they got the field goal. So it could have been a little bit worse, but we did come up with a stop inside the five. We got the ball back one more time before the half. You'll probably remember this. There was a minute and a half left. We got the huge 78-yard return from Blackshear, and then we took it all the way to the two before a penalty and missing a field goal. And I thought on that drive we had the TD to Robinson potentially two different times, uh, but the one on the field was changed by the ref before it went to review, and they upheld it. And the other one, he just, you know, Burmeister waited too long to throw it and then threw it over his head. Yeah, that one could have been a catch, could not have. It it probably would have have stood if they didn't reverse it on the field before it went to the booth, and then they would have let it stand. (laughs) 
um, which was so annoying. Like they called it a touchdown and then they changed their mind. And then that was the entire basis to the call in the booth when it's like, why don't we just look at the replay and see what it looks the most like rather than going with the call on the field, which you're kind of flip-flopping between. Like, yeah. if you don't know what to call on the field, maybe you should just look at the video. That, <laughs> that was a touchdown. He, his hands were under yeah. that ball. You're yeah. not going to convince me otherwise. And I found that obnoxious. But since the reversed call on the field was what they're going with, that's what we have to stick with. Yeah. It never helps. Also, I'll just throw it as an aside because it always pisses me off in this case because it happened to us. But on the AstroTurf, you know the black uh, tire uh, chop-up that they put in the AstroTurf? Mm-hmm. I swear that the refs use that as like an indication of the ball hitting the ground, even though it was clearly his hands hitting that black stuff and causing it to shoot up. It looks like a little like thing of smoke that almost like pops up when it yeah, hits like that. The, the rubber pellets, the rubber pellets come shooting up. And I swear that's what they use to make a determination. And it's just annoying. I think you're exactly right, man. WVU kicked a, another field goal to start the third quarter and make it 27 to seven. So we're down 20 points at this point. And after trading punts, we finally put a drive together. Nine plays, 76 yards, a beautifully blocked TD run by Blackshear. We had Caden Moore out in front on that one. And that was set up uh, by the huge play by Bracton Burmeister on third and 24. And that was jukes and speed, and that run was just awesome. I don't even, he got 25 yards on that, and I'm still not even certain how he, he did it. They were not expecting it whatsoever. There was a gap of about 15 yards, but then he actually dug out probably another eight or nine yards that I don't know how he, he got to get across the first line, first down line there. You're right. There was an element of surprise, but he still went out there and, and made the play. The defense really clamped down. They allowed no more points after that, forced two turnovers, and unfortunately, we just came up short inside the 10 again, midway through the fourth. Got a third TD with three minutes left on the 29-yard, what seemed like a dump-off to Holston to make it 27-21. to And victory, it still seemed pretty far-fetched until Waller made the play of the day. He picked Deggy, took it down to the 17. He kind of got clocked on the play, but he took the interception down to the 17. And then Holston comes in, takes it right down to the 5, first down, but we couldn't move another inch. In fact, I think we actually went a yard backwards. Two runs, two incompletes, game over. WVU wins 27-21. to 21. Yeah, painful. That was, uh, that was painful. <laughs> it was a brutal finish. Um, and I, I do give the kids a lot of credit because it was bleak. And I think every fan had pretty much given up at home. And... I give the kids credit. I give Jayham credit for making the adjustments defensively to basically hold them scoreless for the fourth quarter. Yep. But the offensive play calling seemed to let the kids down, man. It was, um, I won't say every play, but a whole bunch of it. Let's, we got to take the Burmeister potential injury because we don't know. Right. So it's hard to evaluate everything. So let's just go under, the premise that he's not injured, which is all we can sure. really do is and evaluate it that way. Because if he is and we're scheming around it, then so be it. But quite honestly, statistically, the passes and where he's passing to have looked very similar in all of the first three games. So I don't think he was injured for the game against UNC. So it's not that far-fetched that this has just been the game plan all along and it's not just due to injuries. So he goes 19 for 31, 235 yards, two TDs. He starts at one point, 
I think five of his six passes were screen passes um, during the first half. That, that eased up throughout the game. It was super heavy in the first half. It was unbelievable. I mean, nobody, it everybody really on was. Twitter was talking about it. Um, it was it was tough it, to watch. And there's this element of him bailing out of the pocket constantly, where he's bailing out, rolling out to the right, he, he, even before the offensive line, which was breaking down all over the place. Yeah, I, I know their defensive end was a stud that day, but it was also because the offensive line was just letting guys through. He got hit. I think it was... Um, at one point, this is not the full game because they put it up on the screen. It was like two hurries, eight hits, eight knockdowns, six sacks was one of the stats that they put up there um, on Burmeister. And he had five sacks in the second half. So nobody was doing him any favors. He was trying to bail it out. We're throwing screen passes all over the place. And it was it was brutal. Yeah. The second half, I just felt like he was getting sacked every other play. And once that starts to happen repeatedly, you're going to miss receivers because you're going to be looking to where someone's going to clock you. I, I just, yeah. I do have some sympathy in that regard. The weird part was, it was the most attempts of his career. It was the most passing yards of his career, but it was the worst QBR of his career. The passer rating was fine. The QBR was the worst. And I think some of that is taken into account plays he could have made that weren't made because there were guys open that he yeah. just didn't hit. Um, I saw a lot of open receivers watching the film and yep. when they were thrown to, they were thrown too late or they were just missed completely. And yeah. so, yeah, he, he completed 19 of 31, but there were a lot of left yardage, a lot of, a lot of left yardage out on the field and a lot of left scores and points left out on the field. Yeah. We had getting into the play calling some more, the fourth and one in WVU territory where we ran Burmeister from the shotgun on a fourth and one into the back of the offensive line made me want to do harmful things to myself. And the you didn't like that. Oh, uh, <laughs> well, well, I, we don't I, go I, under center. Like we don't, yeah. we don't have we don't, under center but, place. Yeah. But we, yeah, that's called just the fault. Doesn't forward. mean you have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, or yeah, it's the, the 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 fourth and one under center play is everybody falls forward and you know, yeah that's what you really go for and you're and if you're gonna do that you don't have Burmeister do it throw one of our other like or just do a direct snap to a running back do something don't put him in there trying to do that like or give give have him go to the outside screw it and let him use his legs his legs aren't gonna do anything running into the back of the offensive line that one killed me um, we had. Another, which was um, the third and eight, I think we had. We ran. We had a third and goal from the seven before the end of the half. Yeah, that was the one that we ran Turner on the sweep into the boundary side, wasn't it? And he just got tackled, and it wasn't even close. Well, uh, that yeah, that was you're mixing up our four, our inside the ten failures oh, yeah. because there was twelve plays inside the ten where yeah. we came away with no points. There we go. And so yeah, there was the one to Turner that was a sweep that got a lot of attention on third down. Yeah, I mean there was the QB draw thing is kind of weird. I just want to go back to that real quick, just because we're thinking Burmeister might be hurt. He hasn't taken many RPO reads all season long, which seems to be, like I said, perhaps a coaching decision. 
And yet on fourth and one, you want to plow your 210-pound quarterback right behind the line. I don't – it does not compute. It yeah. does not compute. And it was a horrible play call anyway. It was like a you know a veer or a draw or something. And it, Listen, everyone is a play call expert and not a play call expert, but that play sucked, okay? Yeah. Like that play fucking sucked, and I don't care who, who wants to tell me that I don't know how to call plays because that play fucking sucked. Yeah. Uh, we also had the fumble on third and one with Holston, yeah. the third and goal at the two where he had a false start on Smith, the yeah. third and goal from the seven before the half where – that was the one where there was two different chances where Robinson didn't catch the one where yes. it could have been a catch, and then the one where it was thrown over his head. Missed field goal. The wide receiver screen behind the line of scrimmage on third and four. Yeah. A third and goal sweep to Turner on the short side, which we all already talked about. Sack fumble on fourth and goal. And the last four plays inside the 10. Like, those were all the critical play failures that we had. That's like, that's a whole season's worth. And it was all <laughs> in one game. Yeah, it was um, it was brutal. And thanks for for correcting me on that. I was uh, that one was just the one that stuck in my mind because. I, but all of those were, it, it, it was execution. Sometimes it was bad play calling. It was bad luck, and you know the, the sure. it, all of it just culminated um, into just absolute dreadful um, red zone offense. Quite honestly, and when you're doing this without Mitchell's blocking and without. Jansy and without Clements and you're trying to do a sweep to Trey Turner on the short side, the same play that Mitchell tore his ACL on. <laughs> I just, I'm not sure that's a wise strategy because West Virginia knew exactly what we were doing. Burmeister was either told not to keep. It was a handoff all the way and he didn't check out of it. Yeah. And like, that's a failure. That is a coaching failure. That's a Burmeister failure. That's a failure all the way around. You can't look at that defense that West Virginia has on the field and say, nope, we're still going to run this play. Yeah. We know it's going to fail. We're going to run it anyway. Yeah. And their left side defensive end was the one that was destroying us like uh, almost all game. So, it, and if it was the wrong call that made it and got ran, that, that, that's what got run. That's a coaching failure. Like then, then you have enough. There's no real excuse, even if it was the wrong play. There's mm-hmm. nothing that you can really fall back on, um, on on that. So, you know, hitting some other people, Blackshear, I thought did okay. He went ten for forty-seven yards. It wasn't. I mean, it wasn't horrible. It wasn't good. Holston eleven for forty-two. So uh, nothing to write home about there. I thought we tried to use Smith, but. He's just not the governor. It, it's just it was it was obvious. We tried to. He had a good pass um, catch, um, but it, it just it's just not the same thing. So it was obvious when we were going to rush the ball, the fly sweeps and screen passes, and that's basically all it feels like this team has. I know. And in the first half, like you said, it was so heavy with the screen passes. I was like, this is a joke. I mean, and at times they were working. But you end the half and you got seven points. So it didn't work that well. And like it opened up a little bit in the second half. But how much of that was just because of necessity? Like they weren't going to do that if we weren't down 20 points. Yeah, me and my wife were talking about it as it was happening. She was watching. She could barely watch the game. And listen, Ohio State's not playing that well. But she was like, man, this is this is like really bad. And we equated it. It looked and I'm not being disparaging to the players or whatever, but it looked to me like if you had a high school team with like a very bad quarterback and no real actual rush game, like you didn't have a running back, you had a bad quarterback and you just need to do something. And 
that's what it looked like. Like you, that's yeah. you know, throw passes with some protection under the screen and then hope somebody gets a good block and maybe you'll get a, a few yards. And it was, I was just laughing. I wasn't even mad at the time. I was just like, Oh my goodness, this looks so elementary. It's pretty ridiculous. You mentioned Smith and that he isn't James Mitchell and he's not, he is a good blocker and he did have six receptions on the day. So I just wanted to give him a shout out because he made some key third down catches in the game. Yep. Uh, fourth down catch, I think even, and had 58 yards. Uh, Robinson should have had two TD catches as it stood. He had one and Blackshear and Holston, they combined for 150 total yards and two touchdowns, but there was no real consistency on the ground. And that was one of the reasons that West Virginia was able to tee off on us in the second half because they knew we couldn't run the ball consistently. Just 106 rush yards as a team and what, 2.6 yards per carry. Yeah. This offensive line without Janzy or Clements coming back or whatever before Notre Dame is going to be a big problem and it's only going to lead to more hits on an already what seems like beaten up Braxton Burmeister like this could compound quickly fortunately we do have Richmond and we do have a bye so that will help before we play Notre Dame but I'm concerned and I want to I want to be a little bit forgiving to Burmeister I I don't want to rip on his play too too bad whether he's hurt or not because the offensive line was just a sieve yeah it was bad and we said just keep doing what you're doing during our when we did the preview on the penalty side of things that did not happen the penalties showed their face in a bad way in a lot of different ways and then it started to show up with the false starts because the offensive line was so skittish they were trying to get ready to block the defense coming at them from WVU that they were falling backwards and they were or falling forwards trying to gain some momentum and you know had they had false starts started to you know creep up on us as well. Yeah. It was and then bad we had bad snaps again. It, it was it was tough. Yeah. Let's do let's talk about the defense before we give our final thoughts on this game. They had a really rough start obviously. They gave up 135 yards on the first 5 plays. <laughs> Allowed scores on the first 5 of 7 drives. And you just, you can't come out that flat on the road. It allows the crowd to get into it. It was just a terrible start for the defense. But once they settled down just a little, they forced a couple turnovers. They held them scoreless for long stretches of the time. So I give them a lot of credit uh, despite having a rough start. Yeah, I, I absolutely. You know, the, the story of the defense was the ability to adjust and whether that was WVU taking their foot off the gas a little bit, maybe, but the defense really did adjust in that second half. The first half was just tough. The wide receiver that was open right off the bat down the left sideline, they didn't make that that pass um, on one of them. And then another one they did. There was the, re- the free long pass that they had into double coverage for the end zone for the touchdown um, where they had a penalty and they just lobbed it up and nobody could, could get them. The, the honestly, the first half looks like the opposite of what happened in UNC because in UNC, there was a lot of passes that Howell made that the DBs did such a good job of breaking up or getting their hand in there or causing, you know, incompletions. And this was the mirror opposite where 
quite frankly, UNC missed quite a few passes to wide open wide receivers. They could have been a lot worse. Uh, in You're my saying minds. WVU missed a lot. I of mean, WVU, yeah, missed yes. a, a lot of wide open receivers. They, they could they have did. been a lot more <laughs> damage uh, than they did. We just looked out of position a lot in that first half, but everything tightened up a lot in in the second half, and I give them a lot of credit. And um, with the adjustments that they they made, and they, all they gave up was a field goal in that second half. And Tisdale had the fumble recovery, the great interception by Waller, as you said. It was definitely um, a tale of, of two different teams. The first half was was really rough, and the second half they they clamped down. Yeah, and I thought Garbit continued his redemption tour, getting that that sack fumble. Uh, it just there's not a lot to speak of stat wise for the defense giving up 376 yards isn't a bad day at all but West Virginia didn't run that many plays they had 6.3 yards per play that's not good and we had 13 more plays than them and had 40 less yards so that kind of that kind of tells you what was going on there we mentioned Barno and if he's going to be invisible for the rest of the year this defense is going to be extremely average like we need his playmaking ability. It was a huge difference maker week one. I can't imagine. I don't care about doubles, double teams. I don't care about that. Like there's no way a guy who is as good as he was last year and as good as he was week one is just getting swallowed up all of a sudden without an injury. It just it does not compute to me. If it is, then it's one of the biggest drop offs we've ever seen for a healthy player. Yeah. But we need Barno back operating like normal Amari Barno. Yeah, I agree. He needs to complement what Garbett's been doing. So, and he did in that first week, and it was, it was potent. They were really up up front was, but it's become a lot more um, tentative. There's just not as much havoc that they're they're creating on on the quarterback, and we we got lucky that. Um, that they missed a lot of those passes, quite honestly, because the pass rush just wasn't what it was in that that first game, or even in the second game. It's kind of slowly drifted off almost in in the next subsequent two games. On special teams, we missed the field goal, but Blackshear had that seemingly critical return right before the half, and I do love the fact that the return game has some juice all of a sudden. Yeah, that run was uh, explosive and put us in a really good... That if if this game had gone a different direction, it all would have been because of just two things. One, that Blackshear run was critical, and uh, the interception, uh, obviously mm-hmm. that um, that Waller had, and that really would have been you know the story of of pulling off a very unlikely W in this game was was really those two plays. Let's do a quick beer break before we give our takeaways and talk about Richmond a little bit. But before we do that, I want to talk about our sponsor, Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. You know we talk about them every week. You got to check out Downtown Crown in Gaithersburg. It is just a beautiful beer and wine store. The selection is unmatched in the DMV. You can go to Total Wine. You can go to other places, and, and you'll get some good stuff, but you won't get the care to... Hey, what are you looking for? And they'll take you around the store, they'll listen to you, and they'll find you exactly what you need. Aside from the fact that they've got the curbside pickup, they've got online ordering, they've got food down at Dominion in Virginia, right in Falls Church, which is delicious. You can sit outside, watch the NFL games on Sunday, watch your Hokies on Saturday. It's just 
the two best places that you can go to in the Northern Virginia and DMV area. And I know Robbie is not only an advocate, but also a client. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) The other thing that uh, we don't hit on enough about them is if you're like, so on our podcast, I think we're coming up on having nearly 500 different types of beers on the podcast. Uh, I think we're at like 475, something like that. I keep track of them. They're all on the website. If you if you want to peruse um, the state of our livers, uh, you can go through the webpage. <laughs> the, um, but it, the nice part is if you are a person that just likes to drink the same stuff, they have kind of your staples in there. The, you know, the normal, they'll have it each week if you're... You know, you like the two-hearted ale. They'll they'll always have kind of the the go-tos in stock or a high lie or whatever the case may be. But they do such a good job at rotating in the new stuff and even getting limited release uh, beers in there because they're such good um, you know relationships with the distributors that if you're like us and you like to try new beers all the time, you'll go back to the ones that you know you really like. But you like to venture out. They're always getting new stuff on there. You can check out their Instagram and see pictures of when they that's get, a great when resource they, when yeah. they get drops uh, that come in their website's good you can see you know they're they have all the keg levels in there when you're when you're in and you can see and make sure you don't miss out on a beer that's running low it's it's awesome yeah so make sure you head to downtown crown and dominion uh we'll be with them all year and you guys should definitely check them out for right now robbie why don't you tell me what you're drinking I am having the uh, Black is Beautiful um, beer by Weathered Souls Brewing. It's a imperial double uh, stout, and it is 10 uh, alcohol by volume, so it is a potent one. I just got a, a small little little glass of it. I'm, I'm still keeping my, myself relatively healthy these days, um, and it is a delicious, delicious uh, Imperial Stout. I haven't had one in a while. The weather is going to be cool this week. It's going to get into the 50s at night, so we're starting to get a little bit cooler weather. So it's perfect time to start turning on the uh, the Stout game and some of the stronger Stouts out there. Um, this beer is fantastic. I haven't had a, a a real Stout in a while, so maybe that's why. But my wife had some too. She said it was delicious, so I'm not the only one. And it's Weathered Souls Brewing. Um, and it's called Black is Beautiful. And I think they're doing uh, beer by a black brewer helps pour money into social justice reform. So he's doing um, release uh, 100% of the proceeds to local organizations, charities, foundations that support equality, inclusion, and social justice. Um, hence the, the Black is Beautiful um, name of the beer. So it's... Uh, it's really good. Uh, I, That's awesome, man. Yeah, it's. Uh, You're fighting for social justice by drinking. I I appreciate that. Listen, if you can, um, if you can put two good things together, um, and why not? If you can, you know, have some fun right. while supporting good causes, then um, it doesn't get better than that. I am drinking the Firestone Walker Oak Toberfest. That's right, oak aged lager is the style of this beer. And I guess it's supposed to be in the style of an Oktoberfest, but it's very like it's a very thin lager in terms of how light it is. It's it is not an Oktoberfest in the traditional sense. It is a lager brewed in some type of oak barrel, and it is pretty good. Firestone Walker out of California, been around a long time. I think it's one of the first beers we even had on the podcast was 
the double jack. I think you might've had that mm-hmm. one uh, many, many years ago on this podcast, but we've always been a fan of Firestone. They were one of the, the first big players in the game of craft beer. And this one's okay. It's pretty good. 5.2% alcohol. I feel like I could drink 10 of them back to back to back. It's very light drinking, uh, but the Firestone Oktoberfest don't get it if you're looking for that margin style lager, but if you're just looking for a nice light lager, it's good. So let's do our takeaways real quick. I can start. The refs, I think, cost us some points, but we absolutely cost ourselves some points by not hitting those passes in the end zone at the end of the first half. The red zone play calling has to be better. I mean, our conversion rate is one of the worst in NCAA. Add in the missed field goals. Uh, it's 127th nationally red zone conversion rate. So there's only about three teams worse than us so far. 12 trips, seven scores. All of them have been touchdowns. So that's good uh, inside the red zone, but 127th on that red zone. What were your, your takeaways? I thought, I think it was Andy bitter had this line. He may have got it from somebody else. I'm pretty sure it was him, but he said, Virginia tech managed to, um, lose a game that it had no business winning is the way that I think he put it. <laughs> I, I think I saw that on Twitter, which was the most perfect way. Yeah. Almost, yeah. They managed to lose uh, and squander an opportunity in a game that they had no business being in. So it's I, so true. It's um, the offensive line. We need to do something there in order to give, if Burmeister's hurt, then we definitely need to give him more time. We need more time for a place to develop. We need some protection there. So he has some time to see the field a little bit better, especially if we're not going to be able to use his legs in the run game. And we, we did a little bit of that, but not as much as um, we probably would have need needed to. The play calling has to be better. And the penalties have, have really just got to go. Um, we've managed to avoid, we've had some turnovers. You talked about the fumble um, in the, near the goal line. It, yes, but I don't think Burmeister's thrown an interception. He's one interception that he threw uh, in the UNC game, but he's been relatively cautious, but you and I have alluded to this a little bit, maybe too cautious uh, at times, mm-hmm. uh, and um, that's that's probably costing us a little bit, but that's not going to get any better unless we sure things up with the offensive line, and um, without... Mitchell on there as a threat. We're, we're going to have to find some other ways to get balls into people's hands that aren't named Robinson and, and Turner. Yeah. You just can't start that flat on the road. I, I said it before, but you can't. So going forward, when we have all those road games at the end of the year, we, we cannot yeah. come out like this because that start cost us the game. Mm-hmm. Like if we, if we just played average on the first two drives, mm-hmm. we would have been in this game even more so and probably would have won. I will definitely take away that the team never gave up this could have turned into a duke 2019 situation yep. where we end up losing 45 to 10 yep. and the team did not let that happen the coaching didn't let that happen and for that i am grateful if you look at the big picture we lost to a historic rival on the road in a game where we were the underdog by six points yep and yet <laughs> to andy bitter's tweet like that's still hard to swallow because we should have won the game. Yes. <laughs> like we really should have won the game at the last second, but we didn't. And we're two and one and we still have all the conference play in front of us. I mean, we were one and zero in the conference. We haven't lost a conference game, so we can have a special season. We can win the coastal. We can beat Notre Dame. 
but it doesn't mean losing the Black Diamond Trophy for what could only be a year because we play West Virginia next year again in Lane. Um, it stinks. Yeah. Right now, it stinks. And that last drive is going to haunt me for a long time. I think somebody else may have said this again on Twitter. Maybe we got a DM about it. I, I can't remember, but... It's almost like we forgot what the point was of that last drive, which was to score and not manage the <laughs> clock. And we, if it's possible, uh, we kind of, we lost the trees in, uh, you know, trying to step back and look at the forest and trying to game plan it too much where it's like, do you, you, know, <laughs> do you think you were trying to get it to the point where like we wouldn't give WVU any time? It, Is that what it you're saying? It looked like it a little bit. I, it did not, it didn't look like we had any, interest in trying to score on the first and four it, right from the bat. I mean, we ran Holston yeah. right yeah. out, but we, and then even on the last, on the last play, me and my wife were talking about this as well is why, why do that? They've seen that play so many times. And to your point, when we discussed it, the throw that we ended up making Turner wasn't even in the end zone like you. I think you were joking about. He was at the one-yard line, so he still would have had to reach <laughs> yeah. out even if he caught that. And I know it was not how they wanted it to play out, but it, you have one play to win a game that you had no business winning. So you have you have nothing to lose at that point whatsoever. There's nothing to lose because you shouldn't even be in that position anyway because... Waller shouldn't have had the interception. The throw on that screen was abysmal into a lot of traffic. It if, probably shouldn't even it, been thrown. Exactly. It probably just ran the football and punted. Right. So now you, you're gifted this chance. Do something. Do anything. You know, do a, go with a double reverse, right? And, you know, do something that's just like crazy and go for, you know, the fun of the game and trying to win the game. It looked so um, trying to be calculating and cute. Um, and then it's just like, just go out there and play some football and have fun and try and win the game is what it should have looked like. Yeah. And we've seen that before. And I'll give the example of us down to Clemson it, when we're playing them last year, there's a minute and a half left in the first half. And we basically just decide to pack it in and go into the locker room. It's like, dude, you're playing Clemson. You have a 1% chance of winning this game. And you've got a minute and a half on the clock, and you're not going to try to do something. Like you're probably going to lose anyway. Yeah. So do something. What are you doing? And that's so I, I I couldn't agree with you more, man. Like we've seen the too cute calculating. We saw it against Georgia Tech back in 2017. Like we've seen this over and over again. And that's all this is: recurring themes again and again. Critical situation, bad play calls, blah 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 blah. We've We've been over it a hundred times already. And so that's why when this shit happens, it's not surprising to me. I wasn't happy about it, but I wasn't surprised. <laughs> and Trey being outside the end zone when he's when Burmeister's looking for someone to throw to, like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> I understand that wasn't the play call. Like the, the play call was supposed to go to Tavion like real quick or something, and he was covered. But get your ass in the end zone yeah. and throw it into the end zone. Or we're using Smith so well, have Smith line up on the left-hand side and have him sneak out into the end zone and, you know, over on the left. And then you have just an outlet to just lob one and hopefully, you know, just maybe you come down with it, right? Just give yourself a chance. And we just didn't look like we wanted to give ourselves a chance. And If it's not clear, 
we need Cornelson gone. And I know that's not a new thing to say. That's not something you haven't heard us say. But that guy has got to go. And you said it in the beginning of the year. We'll see if Fuente decides to go down with the ship. Because he's always supported Brad. And there was even the quote that there's nobody better at ironing out the minutia it takes to give our guys a chance to be successful than Brad. I heard that quote. And and all I could think about was what I said when we previewed the season. And what I said was, I will be extremely interested if things go off the rails a little bit. And... Puente chooses to go down with the ship with with Cornelson or whether he decides to take over play calling. And that quote tells me exactly that. He's- and it's it's already come up. We're in game three. We've got a game against Notre Dame, which I actually think is winnable. If you were able to play like you did against UNC, you could beat this Notre Dame team. They don't look all that great. They don't have a... Sam Howell's a lot better than Jack Cohn. Yep. So it's a winnable game. And... Pitt and Miami and UVA, these are all going to be games that come down to a few plays. And this offense is in such a position that they're only going to have a few chances a game to make that play. And so is Brad the guy you're trusting to come up with those plays to to get us over the hump and win a few of these? Because I'm not so sure that's the answer. I I know it's not. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I'll go in my mind. I'll say I, I'm not a uh, yeah. an expert by in my mind. I don't think it is. How's that? But you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, look at the schedule. Yeah. Look at the caliber of teams we're going to be playing. Yeah. This was a very winnable game. Mm-hmm. Very winnable, and we had a chance to win it. And when the chips were down, we couldn't come up with a creative play call to do it. Yeah. And uh, if you want to challenge me and say, "Hey, Pete, you think you're so smart? Come up with the play." I I'm an engineer. I'm not a play caller. My I can criticize all I want because what I'm seeing is a bunch of bullshit. And you know what? If you if you really turn the screws on me, I probably could come up with a better fucking play call <laughs> using the Madden playbook than what we put out there 12 times inside the 10-yard line. Anyway. <laughs> you want I'm to just, move on to I'm Richmond? Just, I'm just so hoping that uh, I can't wait until next week when you're you're going to be putting play calls out on, on Twitter. <laughs> I can't wait it. I can't wait till it happens. I think I think it was Billy from Sons of Saturday basically tweeted out like a challenge to all fans like point out to me what plays you have a problem with and you know tell me what you would do or some, something to that degree and listen man I know we're all just fans watching the game but numbers don't lie Third down conversion rates don't lie. And Brad has been horrible for like three or four years now at third down. And that is the most simple, critical situation in football. And he's bad at it. And this year, he's much, much worse in red zone so far. It's only three games than he normally is. So I'll give him a little bit of credit. He's been okay in the red zone in years past. But this team is lacking talent. Without Mitchell now and without a few offensive linemen that we lost to the portal, speaking of which, Doug Nestor was the highest uh, graded out offensive lineman on West Virginia last week, just so it put some salt in the wound. But this team isn't talented enough offensively to not have amazing play calls, essentially. Well, I will just put out there to that tweet and that response. Um, Roddy White uh, mentioned our game, which was awesome, which is... um, 
cool. Roddy White, for those who didn't know, he played for UAB, didn't play, has no association with Virginia Tech whatsoever. He's from South Carolina. Um, played for the Roddy Atlanta. White from the Falcons? Yeah, played from 2005 to 2015. And uh, four-time Pro Bowler. I believe he tweeted out on that third and seven into the boundary that that was the worst third and seven play call he's ever seen. So, <laughs> so um, I think uh, I think Roddy would like a like a word. Um, so he has no other than like just watching football. I and mean, he was just like, I'm almost positive right. he's the one to put a tweet. I'll have to find it. <laughs> no, I think I think you're right because someone mentioned that, and I was like, is that the same Roddy White that I used to have on my fantasy team? But yeah, <laughs> yes, I guess it is. He was a very good receiver in his heyday for sure. That's right. All right, let's move on to Richmond. 12 p.m. this Saturday. They're 2-1 on the year. They're actually number 24 in the FCS poll. They crushed Lehigh and Howard early in the year, and they just lost to Villanova on, in a crazy fourth-quarter comeback by Villanova Wildcats. They're a member of the CAA. It's a tough conference. JMU's in there, Delaware, Nova, and New Hampshire. And they're coached by Russ Huseman. He's been there for a few years, since 2017. And before he got to... Richmond, he won a few conference titles with Chattanooga. So he's he's been around the block. Hasn't been great at UR, but this is probably the best team he's had for them. Yeah, and um yeah, it's they're they're good. I mean, they lost to Villanova, but it's a good team uh, overall. I don't think that they should be challenging Virginia Tech, but I think they have a a pretty decent uh quarterback um in Joe Mancuso, I believe his name is, and how you'd uh, pronounce it. So I think so. Uh, he's got you know sixty-two per- completion percentage, six TDs, couple interceptions, uh, almost seven hundred yards. He's also rushed uh, a bit, um, seventeen times for one hundred twenty-eight yards. I will say I dug into that stat a little bit more, and one of his rushes was forty-one yards, and he's only taken three sacks, so he hasn't been eating up a bunch of the negative yards on on sacks like uh, maybe some others have. So I don't really know, um, you know, how dangerous he is with his legs, but he's been he's been pretty pretty solid um, under center form. Yeah, he can run, and I think he can extend some plays. He's a big athletic kid, uh, as Fuente put it. 144 passer rating. Mm-hmm. It's better than Braxton Burmeister. It's it's average. The good thing I saw was Bill Connolly just put out his SP plus FCS rankings, and they have the 100th ranked offense in FCS. Wow. So Mancuso seems like he could be all right, and a lot of that you know SP plus sometimes is based off last year. But I did like to see that it was at least at 100. So even if it's off by 10, 20 spots, this isn't a good offense. The scary part was that Richmond was number four in defense yeah. <laughs> and, so, and number 15 overall. So it's they're a decent FCS team. Doesn't mean we shouldn't beat them by 25, but they're a decent FCS team. If you look at their running backs, they got two guys that basically play, Smith and Dykes. Dykes, he can run, he can catch. He returned one for a touchdown against Villanova. So he's a dangerous guy, but only 3.3 yards per carry versus Villanova. I think their wide receivers are more of a threat. They've got three, maybe four guys that get most of the targets, including the tight end. Brown has two TDs and 16 yards per catch on the year, 12 receptions. It's it's whatever. I I don't know if we really need to go into all this detail, yeah. but it's I think they can pass a little bit. Yeah. I don't think they're going to be able to run on us. Uh, maybe, hey, Bloody Brown busted out an 80-yard run, so anything's possible, but... 
uh, we're going to have an advantage at the line of scrimmage, or at least we should. Yeah. So let's push them around and uh, you know pin the running game down and then get some picks. As for the defense, I I don't have a whole lot. I saw that Fuente said they got four or five defensive linemen that would play for us. <laughs> yeah, I did see did see that. Uh, that's that's not great. It's like uh, I don't know if that's very respectful to your current defensive linemen. <laughs> well, it's difficult. ESPN doesn't put out stats for FCS teams on defense unless they play an FBS team. Just not enough analysts to send out there. Or mm-hmm. so I went to their website. I will say. And I also went to the season preview. Their games aren't very well covered. Um, it's pretty crazy because Richmond's a, a good team. I mean, they compete. They played JMU, you know, hard last year when JMU was ranked number one. They, they're a good team. They've had some really great seasons, but not covered quite as well. I will say their linebacker, Tyler Dresser, is a monster. This kid's 6'3", 245. He has a sack. He has two tackles for a loss. He was preseason all CAA, I guess is probably what they, they were and has an interception. He also has a forced fumble and they have a, one other linebacker. That's pretty good. So, um, that kid's a stud. So somebody to watch out for Siegler is supposed to be pretty good, but overall there's not a ton of standouts, but their unit as a whole, I think is, is pretty good. The only team they played that was really worth a damn was Villanova and they threw for 350 yards and at 130 yards rushing. And the way Fuente talked about their line, I'm thinking they're better against the run and that their secondary is probably not very good. Yeah. And so let's, let's test out this passing game a little bit. Let's try to stretch the field. This is, you don't want to mess around, but this is a game to work on things. You should not be in a dogfight with Richmond. We could find ourselves in one. Nothing surprises me anymore, but let's get out to a lead. Let's work on the passing game. Let's see if we can get some quick throws, some slants, something a little bit different than what we've been doing, get away from the screen passes, and crush this team. I mean, if you look at Sagarin, this should be like a 31-point margin. You know, I couldn't find a spread on the game, but it should be about a 30-point margin. I mean, if... After everybody was up in arms about the screen passes, we throw that pass to Robinson that you talked about into the end, and it looked, it was beautiful, a long pass. Now, I will fully admit that for how much we were running the ball and throwing screen passes, that it's going to give you more of an opportunity to have open receivers down the field if you're not doing it as often. Get it. That's, you know... But we had the other long pass to Julius that you you talked about, which was nice. Where it's working pretty well down the field. I mean, in 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 total, I was looking at the stats of the long passes for Burmeister, and his his completion percentage is is for for passes like down the field is right up there with everybody that's, you know, of the past like few years. I mean, it's working. There's not, it's not like there's a tremendous fall off and we're, you know, we're trying it and it's just not working. So we're moving away from it again. It's working when we go down the field, we're just not doing it. And again, I understand that, it, you know, the short routes and um, the running the ball and, and the screen passes open up things down the, the field when it's not as often and um, the defense is not expecting it. But I think there's a real opportunity to use it more than we have been. And um, I hope we do in this game, or at least like you yeah. said, let's get, you know, try and get a comfortable lead and 
let's explore it. Let's see what it looks like when we start going down the field a little bit more because we're going to need it in games. We can't just keep running the same offense and think that it's going to work. It's too, it's going to be too easy for the defense to plan against. Yeah. And get poor Jaden payout a fucking catch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're three games into this year. He, we've been hearing the hype on his speed and everything else for what seems like forever. And the kid doesn't even have a catch yet. We, I've barely seen him out there at all. I think he only has and I'm two not, targets on the year. Not catches, yeah, And targets. I'm not even disrespecting him. I'm disrespecting the scheme and whatever else that's not utilizing what seems to be a very athletic, very fast player. It's annoying. I want to see him out there. Win the game, stay healthy, play the backups. <laughs> that's what I want to see in this game. Shake the penalties. Win, stay healthy, <laughs> play the backups, get reps, because we can't take any more injuries. We just cannot. We are we are up to our neck at the most amount of injuries we can take on this team with no depth. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. And we need some time for people to get healthy. That's right. Because the schedule is about to get fun. Yeah. And I and I am looking forward to seeing what happens. I mean, we got Richmond, we got a bye. There's time to heal and learn and come back with a fire and a big crowd against Notre Dame. And restart the season. Forget about the crap that happened in WVU. Get a win. Play Duke. Play Syracuse. Whatever. Get the easy wins. But, you know, do well on the road and win the Coastal. This this can still be a great season. I just, I'm disenchanted again by the offense. And we knew it was going to be a struggle without Khalil Herbert last year. We knew that the rushing yards per game and average, that was all a little bit of a mirage. And we enjoyed the ride. But we we need to find something. We need to find a groove on this offense that makes it look like it has a rhythm. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's take a uh, quick beer break before we talk about our picks. I don't know if you got a second one, Robbie, but I'm sipping on a second one over here. Okay. And it's called the Pistachio Cream Ale by Indeed Brewing Company. And I purposely wanted to have this one on because my cousin – Send me a text of this beer. He's like, this is a pistachio beer. I know it sounds real weird, but it's absolutely delicious. So I'm going to bring you one. And he was on vacation somewhere. And it's from Indeed. I think it's a Minneapolis brewery because he got it from our other family member who lives out there. 5.5% alcohol. And it's got notes of pistachio bread and crisp hops. It's it's called a cream ale, and that's for a reason. It is an easy drinking thing. And since I've had this, and it's probably because my phone is listening to me, uh, I've seen ads for it like <laughs> online or wherever else. But Indeed Brewing Pistachio Cream Ale, it's not gross. It actually tastes very good. And the pistachio flavor, if you actually think of a pistachio, like mm-hmm. what flavor is it? It doesn't really... Like, what's a flavor of pistachio? It, it doesn't really have a flavor flavor. It's a pistachio flavor. <laughs> yeah, it's just a pistachio. Ice cream it's not like ice cream uh, pistachio. It's, right, right. Like gelato. Yeah. Like pistachio gelato is delicious. It's kind of like that. Okay. I don't have a beer, but uh, now I'm, I'm interested. <laughs> All right, picks. We'll start with Wake at UVA. UVA four-point favorites. They're coming off a 20-point loss to UNC where... It was a little shootouty there, and then UNC just took him to the cleaners in the second half. Yeah, the run defense, from what I did not watch the game, the run defense uh, was not great for, for UVA. Um, 
Wake, uh, maybe a little bit sneaky. They are going to um, to Charlotte, uh, Charlottesville. I, I'm going to go with Wake in this one. Um, I know it's probably a little bit dicey, um, but it's four points. I'll, I'll go with Wake in this one. Yeah, I'm going to go with UVA at home, and that's pri- the primary reason. Wake, I picked them last week to cover against Wake, uh, to cover against Florida State. Turns out Florida State's dead and stinking, and Wake is actually a decent football team, a well-coached football team. And so I could easily see them covering this. I just think going on the road, I think it might be their first road game, but I'm not positive. Uh, even to a, you know, kind of a quiet place like UVA. UVA can sling it around, man. Like, yeah. they can really score some points. And so I think they can cover those four at home. Okay. Next game, Kansas at Duke. I, oh, my gosh. I, do you hate me for putting this on I, When I saw it, you put this on there, I just started laughing just because I knew why you put it on there, just because it's so abysmal. And well, such there a was weird a Syracuse game. game. Yeah, there was a Syracuse. I forget who they're playing. And it just didn't interest me at all. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, screw it. I'm putting the Kansas-Duke game on. <laughs> Duke just beat Northwestern, which I didn't think Cut still had it in him, but he beat a Power 5 team at home by seven. And so I'm going to take Duke to cover 16 against Kansas. I got Duke as well. Kansas is bad. Uh, Well, we all know that they're bad, but they're not good. Baylor just blew them out 45-7. So I think Cut can can cover those points. All right, next game, Missouri at Boston College. Another really weird out-of-conference game here between two Power 5 schools. BC, two-and-a-half point home dogs. Robbie, who you got? I got uh, the sleepy uh, Chapel Hill doing it uh, per per usual. Nobody expects, Chestnut Hill or Chestnut Hill. Sorry, I say Chapel Hill, but that's sleepy as well. Uh, uh, Close enough. Thrown yes. out. But BC got the the Temple win, twenty eight three. Colgate and Mass are, are nothing to to write home about. But I'm gonna go with uh, the um, yeah. I'm gonna go with the Eagles at uh, at uh, at their home turf. I think I'm going to take Missouri. I, I want to take Boston College, but with Grossell playing quarterback, yep. I, I'm i nervous about that. Missouri going all the way up to Chestnut Hill, I, I'll give them a chance, but I think Missouri can can win the game by three. Uh, okay. they, they're not a power SEC school, so to speak, but they're they're a solid team. Next game, Louisville at Florida State. Louisville got a huge win mm-hmm. in that UCF game. Did you watch any of the end of that? I didn't, but I heard it was crazy. It was completely nuts. Multiple interceptions. Seemed like one team was going to win and the other team won. And Louisville was a team that I thought they got blown out by Ole Miss. They stink. Ole Miss is just decent. Ole Miss might be really good. Their offense might be really good. So I'm going to take Louisville to cover against Florida State because as I said before, and as you said last week, when things go off the rails for FSU, they tend to go really off the rails. Yeah, I picked FSU in kind of that bounce back. And I think I said if FSU loses this game, I'm not picking them again for the rest of the season. Luckily, I was um, I, bad luck in losing that. But luckily, I don't have to any decision making. So you can just put FSU <laughs> on all the rest of the picks. You know who I'm going to pick. And guess what? I don't think I'm the only one. If you listen to Cover 3 podcast, then... Um, some people well in the know of the FSU program um, are uh, not anticipating them to win yeah. you know, more than two games this year. 
if you listen to Bud, he's just like, check who's starting on the offensive line. Yep. If these guys aren't warming up, pick the pick the team that's playing FSU. Yeah. <laughs> because they can't block anyone again. Like this has been like five years of this. It's incredible that they haven't figured that out. Next game, Clemson at NC State. NC State, 10-point underdogs at home. Normally, this would be an easy, easy Clemson pick, but not with the way they've been looking. I am i don't think it's been enough time that they've all of a sudden are going to figure it out. Like, NC State's a lot stiffer challenge than Georgia Tech last week. I'm taking NC State, and I, I might look really silly on Sunday, but I'm taking them for now. I have NC State as well. I think this spread... It's too big. There's probably, we're probably idiots and there's probably a lot of money that's going to go to NC State. We're all going to lose it. But this spread, I feel like, should be seven and a half, eight, and maybe even seven at home. NC State's a decent team and it's it's not. Um, so maybe Vegas is trying to time when Clemson's really going to turn it on or they already know, you know, Clemson's going to turn it on, but I'm with you. Well, if they were. If Vegas was really trying to get our money, they would have made it like twelve. Yeah, because this is this is a very small Clemson spread if you look at just the last few years. So, and if you consider the fact of how crazy Raleigh's going to be for this game, yeah. they know that Clemson is teetering. They're vulnerable. I can't wait to see what that looks like. UNC at Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech was just the team that played impressively against Clemson. They're twelve and a half point underdogs at home, and it's funny. I feel like this spread would be way bigger if not for that performance. And so I'm taking UNC. <laughs> I have UNC as well. I think, yeah, there's a little bit, maybe there's some overreaction to the way Clemson played and now trying to show George, Georgia Tech. I think that was fluky. I, I really don't think that that's going to be them. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they've gotten their stuff together, but I got, I got UNC in this one. Now oh. I put this one on here cause we just played them West Virginia at Oklahoma. What is this line? I think this could actually be... I know. It could be a really fun one. Oklahoma, 16.5 point favorites at home. I'm picking WVU. It's not even close. So Oklahoma's offense, their quarterback is not good, and their defense is actually really good. But so we know WVU's defense is their defensive line, okay? Maybe not their deep... Their defensive lines are is really good. They're going to pressure that quarterback. I... The, I I got. I thought you wrote the line was wrong, and so I got to take WVU. I may be completely just an idiot, but uh, I'm taking WVU. As we said at the beginning, like the top teams and Oklahoma's one of them haven't played like in a dominating fashion, and so yeah, I I'm taking WVU. But the reason I'm I'm nervous about it is because they just got a pretty emotional win against a rival, Oklahoma barely squeaked by which is a rival in nebraska but there was enough there that they did wrong that i feel like lincoln riley can be in their ass all week and so yeah but there's enough I don't, that wvu did wrong they almost lost the game that's true you know what i mean so that's if true. i'm in if i'm in wvu's locker room i'm like hey guys great you guys pulled it out you guys should have lost that game consider that game a loss when you go play oklahoma um that's what i would be saying to him as well so let me put it to you this way. If WVU keeps this thing close, I think they win the game. Yeah. Like I, I like I would not bet this on the spread. Yeah. If I wanted to bet this game at all, I just take WVU money line because you're gonna get a lot. I don't know, like 
plus three fifty something like that. Yeah, so I'm gonna look it up because I'm interested because I'm I haven't been I haven't laid a the actual bet down this year, but I would be willing to. I would <laughs> that's be, gonna be the one. Yeah, I mean that's just for me. You know, Bud always says. I like, think Spencer Rattler yeah. sucks. Yeah. Like I don't think he's very good. Well, most people are asking so, whether the backup should be you know in there who they don't even really think is the uh, the backup. But you know, Buddy Elliott always says anyway. that, like you if you see like. You know, you betting those like margins. If you see like a margin differential, it's like then that's what you take. So I, I don't yeah. think this. I just don't think the spread is like accurate. It, it, maybe I'm completely wrong. It just doesn't <laughs> seem right. I mean, I, I love, I love when that happens when you just cannot process a spread. Yeah, which just means right, I'll next be wrong. Next one, so. Texas, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Texas A&M at Arkansas. Arkansas, five and a half point underdogs at home. I'm rechecking the spread on the West Virginia game just so I like make sure we had it right. Okay. But anyway, five and a half point underdogs, Arkansas at home. I'll go first. I'm taking Arkansas. So. They've looked really good. Texas A&M has been struggling. Uh, before the season, I would have never thought I'd be taking Arkansas at plus five and a half in this game, but that's what I'm going to do. I, I had We're going to be boring. I had Arkansas written down. I think Arkansas is good. I think they um, they're going to... They're doing some damage. I think they will in the West. Uh, you know, most people did not expect it, but um, their coaches has it rolling. So I'm, I had it written down. I'm going with it. I'm not going to change my picks just because we're being boring. That Oklahoma spread is correct. The over and under is only at 56. Hmm. I feel like that's going to go over, right? Yeah, or yeah, I, I would. Think I don't so. know. I mean, you're right. I mean, both Oklahoma's defense is better. West Virginia's defense is solid, but. Oklahoma should be able to put up 30 points on WVU and vice versa. So I I, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. last pick we're going to make Notre Dame at Wisconsin. We got Notre Dame coming up in a couple weeks. I'm pumped. And the crazy thing is they got Wisconsin and then they got Cincinnati. Wow. <laughs> and they already played Purdue. And then they got us. And then they got another P5 team. And then they got North Carolina. Like Notre Dame's schedule is kind of low-key brutal this year, man. Yeah. Wisconsin one and a half point favorites. I'm going. I am changing mine at the last minute, which is probably a bad idea. Uh, I'm going to go Wisconsin. I originally had Notre Dame. Okay. I think this game. It's weird because don't you think it could end up like 27-28? Oh yes. <laughs> I mean, this is not in my mind. There's. I don't see this being a very uh, high scoring affair. Uh. I'm going to take Wisconsin. It's what I wrote down. But I could see Notre Dame covering and still losing. <laughs> wow. Wow. All right. So WVU is plus 460. All right. I, I'm i going to open up my uh, my betting app after we get off this. I'm I bust open the DraftKings account. Yeah. I'm I'm going to reopen my MGM account. Hey, it's, a, hey, it's legal in Virginia now. All right. Except you can't yeah. bet your own team, so uh, that's that's probably a good thing. Oh man, I love it! I love it. Well, that is going to do it. I mean, we we hate doing these podcasts after they lose. It sucks, especially in an emotional way like this. Fortunately, over the years, this being year seven of the podcast, we have matured to the point where <laughs> we're in a better headspace to handle it. Is that right, Robbie? Right. Well. <laughs> 
we came in with lower <laughs> expectations this year, so it's uh, a little yes. easier. And I'll just update FanDuel Sportsbook. I think it has it at plus four ninety. So um, I I'm just letting everybody know that I'm, you're hot. You're hot on those uh, Mountaineers after they made us look bad. I don't know. I'm just <laughs> down on Oklahoma. They should have lost twice already this year. It doesn't make any sense. So, and one of them I'm was Nebraska is terrible. Nebraska is really bad. I know that's a renewed and you know rivalry who else is game, like but not that great. Yeah, what? Tulane. Yeah, and Tulane kept it within five. No. You know, in in Oklahoma. So, um, anyway, that's going to do it for the podcast. Make sure to hit us on Twitter. It's at two dvt. Two dvt dot com is the website. You can find our podcast stats, beers, uh, about us, whatever you want. You can stream everything on there. It's a great resource. And then 2DVT at gmail.com if you want to email us anything. We are also on Instagram. I just posted a picture of me and my wife at the new redone Tots lit up flag. Nice. Which looks really good. They put a roof on the Tots deck out back. Like that last little section where the flag is. They put a roof on it. Which was actually kind of nice because it poured down rain on Saturday night. There you go. But it's weird because it was always nice to be out there in like the open air, but it's got a roof now. That's uh, yeah, I'll uh, I'll be checking that out soon enough. All right, and until next time, when we are hopefully celebrating a blowout victory against Richmond and prepping you for Notre Dame, go Hokies. <laughs> <laughs>